in Star Wars land, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of the characters, creatures, things, places, and stuff of the galaxy far, far away. I am one of your bird-watching hosts, Mac, and I'm joined by my porg-watching host, Ross. Mac, I've got my Binox out. I've got my snacks ready. I've got my green milk in the cooler. I am ready to go look for some porgs. <sighs> porgs. What a great name. What a porgs. name. Porg. Anything that's one syllable is going to be good. Anything that's got that RG sound is going to be good. It's got a just rounded shape to it. Yeah. Much like Much the porgs like themselves. The porgs. And speaking of porgs, we will be talking about them tonight. We are going to talk about their appearances in Star Wars film, in Star Wars literature, and Star Wars merchandise. So we are going to talk about all things Porgs for a little while today and then stick around because we're going to talk about some of the current Star Wars news in our second segment as well. It's going to be a great time, so stick with us right through this. So let's get this just out of the way. Oh, boy. The only reason we have these majestic creatures is because Ireland has too many puffins. And thank God for that. Yes. Thank God for the puffins because, and the fact that you're not allowed to move them. Yep. Because that gave us porgs. I also would love to see the, the a crew running around with butterfly nets trying to capture them <laughs> if that was an option. <laughs> Okay. That would be fun. That would be fun. So on the island chain in Ireland that they were using to film Octu, yeah, um, Michael. there's uh, entirely too many puffins. They live there. They nest there. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so rather than trying to CGI edit them all out, they decided to, for the most part, if it's wide, they're just puffins. But when we get closer, we're going to CGI mask over the puffins, especially their tops, and create a new creature to make the puffins look more alien. And uh, this is how we get the the puffin slash sea lion that is a porg. And thankfully we did because the porgs are one majestic addition to Star Wars that uh, we very, very much like. And today we are going to talk about them in a little bit of detail. So let's start with um, their appearances in film. And, you know, we'll start there since The sure. Last Jedi is the first place we see them and retroactively they've been said to uh be seen at the end of the force awakens there when you see the you know the birds flying through the air you don't really see them up close but they're in the uh, wides we haven't designed the porgs yet but they but they they're not puffins so they must be porgs. they must be porgs so we see them in the force awakens obviously they're featured very heavily and purposefully in the last jedi and then they also make a brief appearance in the rise of skywalker Mm -hmm. so between that uh, their book appearance. We'll talk about all of their story today and a little bit more about them as well. And before so, Grogu and Baby Yoda got got up, they were the thing that we've said, is there any way we can put a porg on this? And we'll talk about that too, because there's a lot to say when it comes to porg merchandise. Indeed. Okay, so let's talk about the films to start. The first time we see the porgs in The Last Jedi is essentially when Luke throws his lightsaber over his shoulder and we see Rey goes to retrieve it and there are a couple of porgs playing with the lightsaber. Um, A fantastic introduction to these birds uh, as we're worried right off the bat one of the porgs is going to get impaled by a lightsaber blade. The first thing we learn is porgs are dumb. Now, (laughs) admittedly, they don't know what a lightsaber is. How would they know? But we're at the point of, I'm going to say dumb because... They're being purposely dangerous. The one is like literally looking into the emitter and the other one's just like stamping, just stomping on the button, hoping it'll go. And just let you know, it wasn't always going to be nice. There is concept art of the person who went and drew the drawing of that poor 
losing its head. Getting, yeah, impaled. Um, I mean, it would have been a much more brutal start uh, to the Porgs, but I think I still would have liked them. Now, we have some other big Porg moments from the movie. Of course, we get shots of them just for ambiance and stuff like that. We see them as Luke is fishing. We see them, you know, on the rocks, on the bluff. We like see Porg nests. Yeah, and... as Luke is describing the forced array, we see sort of a cut-in shot of a nest getting washed away by the water. You know, he's talking about darkness. Um of course, we have the uh, Porgs always watching Ray train and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, so lots of good just placing them around, you know, making the island feel alive with them. Uh, and then, of course, some of the biggest Porg moments we have. We have uh, Chewie. So let's talk about Chewie <sighs> and the Porgs, because this so, is the one that I feel like sticks out in everybody's mind, besides yeah. the lightsaber. So... You've got these porgs, which have puffin feet. They've got little, like, um, you know, avian feet yep. that are fairly stocky. And then on top of that frame, they're basically like a, a, a fuzzy potato. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. They, they've got a, a, a slightly smaller head that has a little bit bulbous, mm-hmm. like, tears dropped bottom. They've got wings. They are flight, flighted birds, but they're almost not because they, they're very, like penguin-like they're kind of like almost flippers than they are like really you know falcon wings or something if you wouldn't see them fly in the movies you would probably think they were flightless birds yes and then they then they have this little like muzzle with little teeth yeah they have no beaks which is a unique thing for a bird type creature yeah because they're 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 some they're they're a little more mammalian than than that and then they have these just giant black bulbous puppy dog eyes that um, just are are just they're just cute they're just super duper cute, and so we see one of these with its eyes glistening and watering as it stares at Chewy, who has um, well previously made friends with the pork and has cooked it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as Chewy is handling his little roasted porg, we still see the feet <laughs> sticking out. Yeah. Oh, poor little thing. And a group of, I think, four porgs sort of watching on in horror as yeah, he che- contemplates eating this bird. Chewy is is definitely civilized enough. He's cooked it. But I don't know how well he defeathered and dressed it because it seems like he just shoved a stick through it and threw it on the fire. <laughs> <laughs> For a Wookiee, I mean, they're going to eat the bones and all. I was just saying, yeah, they're they're not um, they're like not a... connoisseurs. They're they're they're, <laughs> they're simple creatures. Listen, I'm sure a Wookiee prepares a porg unlike anybody, but I don't know if that's how I'd want to eat it. I just like the idea of like Chew is like in the Falcon and finding out like the the Ducat boys got rid of his entire kitchen <laughs> set. <laughs> Like where his saucé pans? Like where's his uh, where's his entire set of pressure cookers? Where's Instapot? Imagine how much better this bird would taste if he threw it in the Instapot. Well, hey, you make do with what you can, and that's where the fire's for. Now, as the birds are giving him the uh, the sad eyes, he <laughs> yes. gives a little roar, sending most of them skittering away. But one particular uh, porg is still standing by. Uh, really really giving him the stare down for eating a friend of his just eyes glistening he's starting to get that like just on the edge of whimpering quivering lip yeah and as chewy roars to send him flying away we see someone sneaking up the ramp of the falcon behind him but what i want to focus on here is what is chewy doing with that cooked pork is he eating it or is he just letting it go to waste we have definitely gotten doubt in his mind at this point of whether he's lost his appetite for this thing. Yeah. Um, and I think we're left with the impression of like, ah, oh, Chewie's not going to eat it. But isn't that kind of worse? Like, Yeah, once would, you've cooked it. Yeah, once you cooked it, you should eat it. Like, it's one of those things of like, if it was in a cage or something and he's thinking about cooking it, totally different scene. But it's cooked. It's very dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, plus, I, I mean, the only other way to look at that is once he eats it, what if he develops a taste for the porgs? And again, for Chewie, this isn't really a downside, but we as the audience don't really want to see Chewie get into that. But that's because it's just like when your 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 pet dog has been out in the woods or something and comes back with a dead bird in its mouth. You're like, I don't want to think about the fact that you're a carnivore that used to hunt. I just want to give you kibbles and bits. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, Chewie. Well, hey, you make do with what you can. So... Um, We've obviously got that famous roast porg scene. Uh, Then the porgs sneak their way onto the falcon 
for and a make few it great home. moments. Yes, they make a nest, pulling wires out of the walls. Uh, and uh, then, of course, we get two great scenes at the end of the movie with the yes. Porgs in the cockpit, um, you know, being up on the uh, the dashboard of the Falcon squawking and, and making and, that great cry. They have mm-hmm. they have such an interesting cry because it's got a nice like rattle to it. Yeah, it's 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 shrill and high pitched, but not um, as typically annoying as you would expect, you know, sort of like a like a rooster to be or something. Yeah. They combined a couple of animals, a dove, okay. turkey, and chicken, uh, as well as, you know, a person imitating sounds of animals uh, into that call. And, um, I mean, it's funny. You know, it's there for comedic relief for sure. Obviously, the Porgs are there to serve a purpose right. of covering up the puffins on the island. But it's great to have sort of just this alien species that is just set dressing i mean for all purposes they're there like we said for comedic relief but really they are just environmental you know it's the same way as when we see think of most of the aliens in the cantina yeah most of them have been given personalities and names now and stories Mm -hmm. but really the you know for years they were just faces in a bar you know they were nothing and so the porgs even though they're not really sentient in the same way that a lot of those creatures or aliens are um it's very nice just to see this. We don't need to know a lot about them. We don't need to know much about the porgs. They're just there and we understand them because they're this alien. They're this species of alien on this island. And uh, I, I love that about them. Obviously, they're super adorable, which is great. And that brings us kind of here to where they are at the end. Like we said, squawking around in the cockpit, chewy whacking them away. <laughs> we also get the great scene of the porgs sort of falling down and smacking up against the window. Both of those were in trailers. Um and, you know, watching those those trailers preemptively, I never would have thought that the Porgs would become so great. But <laughs> here we are talking about well, them. Uh, one of the things I like about one of the, the kind of apocryphal stories that was told during the making of these films was like J.J. Abrams, when he passed the torch to Ryan Johnson, one of the things he said, Ryan's like, well, you know, what can I do to make this the best as ever? Put more BB-8 in. Because J.J. Abrams had learned that BB-8 was sort of the lucky charm, the thing everybody likes, and you wanted all the lunchboxes, toys, and things, because it was just, it was like R2-D2, but cutified up to 11. Yeah. And Ryan Johnson, apparently, when he patched the torch back to J.J., he's like, put in more porgs. <laughs> um, because it's, it's, it is something that is just something we all like. It's just having a nice, cute thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the porgs are unique in the sense of they're c- cool because they were solving a filmmaking problem. But they solved it so well that it came back around the other side to being this huge boon to the film. Yes. Um, and especially to the marketing departments. Like the second they saw that pork against the glass, they're like, pork on board. We got to go get suction cups. Just like those Garfields from the 80s. We're, we got this. Oh, we're going to talk about all that in a minute. Yes. But before we get to Mertz, yes. let's talk about they do briefly show up in The Rise of Skywalker. They do. On Oct 2. But they are absent from the Falcon during the Rise of Skywalker. We never see them on there. Oh, we do also see them at the end of The Last Jedi. <laughs> we forgot about that during the big sort of hero shot at the end. You know, the wave goodbye yeah, the, shot. The ones that have like, you can see the ones that have made the nest and stuff. Like they're milling around the Falcon. And ones on R2's head. Uh, yes. It's just really, really great stuff. Like we said, really great dressing. Um but let's talk about, in, like we said, The Rise of Skywalker, the briefly on Oct 2. But there is something important to this Porg story that is not on film. And that is in the Spark of Resistance short novel, uh, shorts, oh, well, junior novel, shorts, shorter novel. Um, now, I read this when it came out, but I have not gone back and reread it since. But basically, the story involves Ray and Rose going to, uh, what's the name of the planet? Minfar, I think. Uh, I think that's what it is. Minfar, Minifar, right. something like that. Um, and, uh, basically the, some of the Porgs get off there and basically become an invasive species to the planet. They basically make themselves at home and, and start to expand across the galaxy. <sighs> so I like rats. to believe, yeah, that, that, that they're basically like rats that once they're there, you know, they just, they expand into or everything. It's, it's kind of like pigeons, like pigeons yeah. can live like anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Off not much. Uh, just like right. porgs. I do wonder what porgs eat. We never get to see them eat. And without beaks, you know, they're not scavengers, probably. Like, they're not pulling meat off of fish or anything without a beak. Yeah, like I said, they have, like, the two little, like, vampire teeth almost. Um, yeah. So my guess is that Well, they... piranhas don't have beaks, and they still get up in there with those tiny little mouth. Well, I, I, I'm i going to guess... I would guess a porg is more akin to, like, um, 
a bird of prey like an owl or something like that yeah where they probably get little tiny smaller mammals or something like that the fact they have teeth tells me they're probably not eating insects they're probably eating slightly bigger prey than Mm -hmm. that um because again you don't have sharp teeth unless you're at least an omnivore grab it onto something yeah yeah interesting um that's definitely a story we, we we need I, I need that. I, where is the zoology guide to Star Wars? Mm-hmm. I know Ryan's trilogy may be on hold, but when it when it does happen, I think a Porg trilogy is what we really need. We definitely need more Porg and Porg related content. We have an we Ewok get... slicer out there in the universe. Why can't we have a Porg Jedi? Well, uh, <laughs> now I have a memory of like, I remember there was this great like short they had on StarWars.com. There's just Porgs running around. <laughs> and I remember... Uh, I can't remember why, but I remember making for you a wallpaper that was just all yes. of those with Jedi, with like lightsabers yes. coming off of their wings. I, I installed a lightsaber onto all of them and just like, mm-hmm. oh God, the chaos. Remember also there was the, the last Jedi poster that was like uh, <laughs> Luke and Kylo's head yes. and then it was replaced with all Porgs. I still have that somewhere. Same. Oops, all Porgs is a popular way to yeah. treat something. That was my phone background forever was the last Jedi poster, but in Porg. One day I will have a Porg tattoo. I'm could positive. Do worse. I love the Porgs. Okay. I think, think so. <laughs> Porgs are, are... I mean, the cool thing about Porgs is the fact that, again, they're something uniquely Star Wars, and they yeah. are one of the nice, like BB-8, they're one of the, like, the thumbprints of, like, yes, it's good the sequel trilogy exists, because this wouldn't exist without that. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. They bring a, a fun and levity to, um, you know, to their movie that mm-hmm. I think makes it feel more alien, you know, having this sort of constant alien species that isn't really plot. It's just story. Yes. And it's really, really fun just to have them there and see them around and to watch them squawk around and stuff like that uh, (laughs) and to watch people watch them and deal with them and interact with them. I love all of that. For you sure. Do, you do bury the question of in Rise of Skywalker, they say, like, you don't see the ones that are on the Falcon, which adds more mystery to... Did Chewie get a taste for them? Is that why there's no porgs? Well, or I, did you fumigate the see, Falcon? See, that's the thing. They never say if all of them get off on Minfar or not. So we don't know if there were some left behind. And maybe they're just living in the walls. Are they like tribbles? Did they just like <laughs> breed at an incredibly fast rate? Like, I mean, that would be awesome. I mean, uh, I'm not trying to... I don't know how fast birds generally... Oh, you know what? Birds they do. I year. do think porgs... So we know porgs lay eggs... Oh, okay. Because we see that, and we know they also have litters of two. What do you think a porg egg would taste like? Like a porg omelet. Well, they're larger eggs, so probably closer to ostrich, yeah. 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 And and again, if they're an egg-laden species, like, odds are that a number of those eggs will not get fertilized. That's just how that goes. Unfortunately, yeah. That's cool that they're they're paired. That's, That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Porgs also made it to one other planet we know of, and that's Batu. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, of course. Because we know there are Porgs there, both real and, uh... Well, Batu, uh, fake. In, Batu invites, <laughs> uh, invasive species. They don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's all, Not a whole it's lot of customs of the and immigration uh, protections on Batu. <laughs> Black Spire is like, yeah, bring it in, whatever. When you get out towards the edge of the galaxy, regulations are lax, let's be honest. The First Order is going to establish a base here. Sure, just boat right over there. All right, we'll be over here. We also run a shop. <laughs> Where's the Resistance? They're on the other side of town. I mean, I don't know. Don't don't go look in the caves. Are, are you guys allowing both of these factions on your place? Hey, they both pay at the cantina. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, don't care about politics. Only money. Only money. All right, so let's talk Porg merchandise a little bit because there has been lots of Porg merchandise. So the very first Porg thing, I think, was the Porg Pop. That sounds right. Because we had the the Chewy holding the Porg Pop, I know, on Force Friday. And then we had the regular Porg Pop, which I think came out after. Then there was the Chase Porg with the open mouth. And then there was a, a flocked Porg. Then eventually we got the Wing Flying Porg. We got... All sorts of other variants. So we've gotten. We also, um, I think I got Force Friday is the uh, the kind of cutesy like plush, multiple size plushes. Yep, absolutely. And since then, many many more plushes have been made. Yes, uh, because there are also Black Spire exclusive Porg plushes. Yes, one of which are. I have, yep. thanks to friend of the show Chris. 
Uh, mm-hmm. We have, let's see, all sorts of, uh, they even did Porg Black Series figures. Remember that? The little two-pack. Uh, that was great. I have a whole bunch of those upstairs. Uh, let's see. We've got, um, the oh, the giant Porg Pop. Oh Remember gosh, the yeah. The one that was like bigger than life size. Yeah, as I say, it was like what, three feet tall? They're pretty big. I don't know what the height is on them, but they're the large, like I think those pops are like what are the twelve inch category maybe or something, but I don't know what the actual height on it is. But I ended up with three of those. Um <laughs> I do really like You're those. You're quite the aficionado. Oh, uh, I was a huge pork collector for a while. There is that uh, like you mentioned earlier, the porg on board, the the porg yes, with the suction cups that cup sticks arms. to your car. I have one or two of those that I've uh I think I'm saving for my next car. Uh, let's see. There's the Porg Lego set. Remember the build of Porg? Yes. That was a really fun set. I do have that. Well, as I say, you you also had uh, what set was that? I think that was the Octu like village set came with had, the first Lego little, Porg. Yep. And I, then what you're talking about is the Porg sculpture, the actual yeah, like full size yeah. Um, boy, they've done some really really great great Porg stuff. There were uh, little there were Porgs in the three and three quarter action figure line too. I believe came with the Chewy figure, if I remember correctly, as well. Uh, so the Porgs have infiltrated their way across the entire line of Star Wars merchandise. <laughs> uh, Porg T-shirts. I own it. Boy, I own I think three Porg T-shirts, which maybe is too many, but I boy, I do like them. But how could you choose which ones to keep? It's just impossible. <laughs> One year for Christmas, my wife got me. That's how much she knew I love the Porgs. All Porg stuff. I got Porg Legos. I got Porg shirts. Well, Porg everything. I see. There've been good Porg stuff because I remember specifically. Mm-hmm. I remember like Porg, uh, like f- micro fleece, like pajama pants. Oh yeah, a Porg pattern. Oh, and there yeah. was Porg slippers from what I'm, I remember. That all still has to exist. There is a William Sonoma Porg pie bird. So if you if you make a lot of pies and uh, want a Porg shaped one, I don't make pies, but I almost bought it. I still wish I would have. That's that's really great. Uh, I might have to see if I can find one of those on eBay or something. I really liked that Porg pie bird. There is um, many other Porg mugs. Just off the top of my head, I remember there was a oh, yeah, Shop yeah. Disney one that is like full on shape of a Porg. Yeah, ceramic uh, that I have, and I love that. That re- reminds me of my childhood very much. Those sort of like shaped mugs. Um, there is that celebration mug from Chicago that has the porg in the bottom. Yeah. So, like when you drink it, there's that little porg waiting for you in the bottom. Yeah, just, it's now, printed on the and the very in the dead center of the inside of the coffee cup. So by the time yeah. you're emptying your coffee cup, you're starting to see a porg. Yes, um, boy, there is so much great porg stuff out there. I'm trying to think if there's anything like any of the other big porg merch from Last Jedi era. Anything else you're forgetting, mm-hmm. or I'm forgetting? I should say. No, because Porgs went a little tiny bit the way of, like, Grogu in the sense of, like, they knew Porgs were going to be big, but they didn't know how big they were going to be. So, like, I feel like most of the the bigger Porg merchandise came, like, that following summer. Like, 2018. Yeah, it did. I feel like you're right. Post-Solo, we got Porg stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think, what was it? To get the Chase Porg from that first wave, I think I ordered it from, like, the Fandango online store <laughs> or something for like $50, like for this $10 pop, just cause I wanted this chase pork so bad. Like, I don't even remember. It was something like that. Like the AMC rewards store or the Fandango, like weird, a weird place. I remember having to go to get that, but I was so happy when I got it. Uh, let's see other porks. You know what there have been? There have even been some pork variants in some of the, um, holiday black series figures. They've done like all white porks, like snow porks, snow porks, Uh, um, just, you know, repaints of the figures that already exist, but that's an interesting one. Hoth porks. Uh, um, Boy, the Porgs really just really just are a special part of Star Wars. Well, like I, think. I said, it's like BB-8. It's it's something that's absolutely cute. You can kind of slap it on anything, and it'll make people happy. Yeah, that's what's great about it. Well, hey, we love the Porgs around here, and we're going to continue to love the Porgs on Star Wars well, All In. That is one thing I know for sure. The interesting thing about it is, I think um, we've talked many times that like a lot of the great ideas from Last Jedi have like a little bit of a taint on them because. So many people are afraid of touching Last Jedi because it's so divisive. Even if they love it, it's kind of like the, I could bring up controversy or not, 
But porgs are like the one part that like I don't think I've, I've ever seen anyone who who's like I hate the last Jedi and everything it represents. What about porgs? Porgs are okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no. No one was mad at the Porgs. <laughs> and if you were mad at the Porgs, I feel like it's just <sighs> ancillary. You you got you gotta you gotta be like the Grinch man. Grow your heart like three sizes. Like Porgs are adorable. Just accept it. And if you don't like them, there's a great scene where one gets roasted. You can just live in that. There's moment. a dead pork for sure. Dead yeah. pork on on scene. Maybe can... not the one that got the lightsaber through it, but like <laughs> definitely a dead pork. Uh, I wonder if you could buy that. Some someone on Etsy has to be making that, right? Oh, like the spit yeah. roast porg. Like a keychain of a yeah, there's no An doubt. enamel pin of that must exist somewhere on earth. Oh, absolutely. Oh, speaking of pins, there have definitely been porg pins. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like yeah. even like the official Disney ones and stuff. Yeah, because I have at least a few of those too, yeah. Yeah, like I said, it was a great sort of hallmark. It's one of mm-hmm. the again unifying things from The Last Jedi and I like that they exist, and I'm curious to see where they're going to pop up again, because the one thing that's sort of a little bit pigeonholed about them is they come from Octu. It's generally that that's their home planet, and unfortunately, the greater galaxy doesn't have a lot of reasons to stop by Octu and pick them up. Well, now that they're on Batu and Minfar and presumably other places, they might pop up again. But yeah, the, the Porgs may be done for a little while, but that's okay. They will live on in the film stock of The Last Jedi. Excellent. All right. Well, let's go on to something else. Right, so we uh, we bring another one to a close, one that's special to heart. I I I I think this is not the last time we're going to talk about porgs. We've had numerous guests say like, "I want to talk to porgs with you," and we kind of put this topic off for a while. But we figured it's time to at least get some words in about mm-hmm. the most majestic mm-hmm. seal duck of the, yeah. the Star Wars universe. Yeah, we needed a topic that we really cared about, and that was porgs. And not to mention. The roasted pork reminds us of here domestically in the United States. Mm. It's turkey eating time where we yes. celebrate dead birds. So it seemed appropriate. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm going to have to take a a pork, I don't know, maybe a pork figure, a pork pop with me and, uh, you know, get it a picture of it with the Thanksgiving turkey, something like that. You know, um, one lucky pork. We're thankful for porgs. porgs. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm thankful for porgs most days. I think that makes sense. So um, one thing, I don't know how much you, because I wasn't here because reasons. Uh, I don't know how much you talked about it last week, but uh, let's uh, get through the biggest piece of Star Wars news. So uh, our story has evolved and Kathleen Kennedy is, er, and, uh, and um, Patty Jenkins, Patty Jenkins yeah. are, are not going to be friends and not going to make that movie together. Apparently. <sighs> Um, the details on exactly why are pretty out the window. It could be literally scheduling conflicts and just people not wanting to budge on their schedules. Both Lucasfilm not wanting to miss a release date and Patty Jenkins not wanting to abandon whatever project she was already signed mm-hmm. up for. But you'd think you'd figure that all out before a release date. So I like a lot of people are like creative dis- differences and Lucasfilm like balked and they didn't want to work with her. And I'm like, I find that really hard to believe that they like that this is straight up creative differences because I feel they would have negotiated most of that. And more importantly, Patty Jenkins doesn't seem like an idiot. She's worked on the biggest franchises in the world. I think she knows that Lucasfilm has a problem with giving authorial powers to their directors. Um, Yeah. You'd think that that would be like. It's like. If you're Gareth Edwards. You didn't know that Lucasfilm was going to breathe down your neck the whole time. Stuff happens. If you're, um, uh, uh, I can't remember the names of the guy who made the Lego movies who had the first pass at Solo. You didn't expect him to breathe down your neck as much, but after Rogue One, you should have seen it coming, but not as hard as you thought. And Ron Howard's like, I'll just finish it. I'm good at making movies. I'm a work a day guy. <laughs> Great. 
Ron Howard had no problem making this because he knew what he signed up for. I thought we were in the Ron Howard era where, much like the Marvel films, we are hiring you to make our movie. So you want me to bring my own spin and visual style to it? Not really. We want you to make our movie. <laughs> um, but apparently that's just... Uh, Lucasfilm just can't work with directors is what this basically comes down to. That is sure what it's seeming like more and more, isn't it? I mean, we we talked about it, what, two weeks ago a little bit, like when the news first came out. Um, my feelings haven't changed much of just if it's creative diff- or if it's scheduling, then that should have all been worked out before you signed her, before you made a trailer Ooh. announcing it and put her on a stage. And if it's really a scheduling thing, why can't one of you budge? It's right. not like Star Wars fans were like, oh, I can't wait for Rogue, Rogue, and I will not enjoy or buy Star well, Wars merchandise in between here and its release. Especially since they already did budge and pushed it back a year. It right. was supposed to be 2022. Right. We were You're supposed right. to be, you know, as of recording, 13 months away from a new Star Wars We should Wars have had movie. a teaser trailer coming out this yeah, weekend. Yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. So that alone, you know, okay, fine. Um, so then when it comes to creative differences, what are the creative differences that could be that big? You know, I, I don't think, know. I don't want to. All I can think of is just the fact that I think they lucked out with the first turn with J.J. Abrams, who was like, I want Ka- I want to work with Kasdan. I want to work with the stewards of this property. And I want to make a Star Wars mm-hmm. and was very OK with kind of being a little backseat on being able to design mm-hmm. the entire look and understand that the committee has to build this. Ryan Johnson, I think, you know, despite what people think about Last Jedi, like the guy reveres Star Wars. And I think he made something that was an absolute love letter from his perspective of Star Wars and made something that worked with and kept open communication with Lucasfilm so that even though he was doing weird stuff, they trusted him because it just seemed like they had a great communication, yeah. right? J.B. Abrams the second time is trying to put down a fire. So just sort of made something because something needed to be made. And I think they trusted him from the first movie. But I think the Rise of Skywalker has a lot more fingerprints of J.J. Abrams than Force Awakens does. And I mean that both positively (laughs) and especially negatively. I was going to say it does feel more like a J.J. movie. And again, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I'm like, you can see, I guess the best is you can see the ethereal tent of a J.J. Abrams. Sure. Rise of Skywalker is a J.J. Abrams film in a way that the first episode seven isn't. And what's interesting about that is, in my opinion, that points to projects written by J.J. Abrams, right? Because when you have a movie being written by people who have written Star Wars before, in addition to J.J., it comes out feeling mostly like a Star Wars. Mm -hmm. When you have the guy that wrote Justice League in J.J., believe it or not, you don't get a great script. Correct. And that's where all the problems start. So, I mean... You know, well, and, and <laughs> there, there are least, lots of layers I, to the onion, I guess. And, is and all the last I'm thing I do want to say about it is like, I just actually reevaluated I, on, on my letterbox account. I, I went and actually re- wrote written reviews for the sequel trilogy. Oh, um, basically from my perspective now, having sat with all of it for a while. Mm-hmm. And like my biggest thing with Rise Scott was like, God, I wanted a better movie. I also don't know how much better it could have been with the stupid restrictions they put on themselves. Like we can't use Carrie Fisher because we already promised we, we would only use the stuff that already existed, you know, which is fine. But maybe you just work Leia out of there, like because you didn't utilize her very well. Mm-hmm. You can tell that they are are outtakes. I agree. And, and you ruin Ray's entire visual look for a movie just so she matches up with some of those scenes. Yeah. Um. You also had the problem of just the production woes. They kicked it back six months and like the Disney machine says, look, we got to make that paper that needs to make us money this fiscal year. We can't keep delaying it. It's not a pandemic where we're going to have to deal with that. We still don't have to deal with it in 20, you know, 19. And then I think the last part about it is they lost a director. They lost the creative staff. They basically scrapped like two years of Mm pre-production because it couldn't work without like Carrie Fisher and the response to last Jedi, they had to respond to it at some level in their own head. And I've told you many times, I think they would have gone forward with Colin Trevorrow's ideas and just made that movie and that pre-production pay off. If Carrie hadn't died, when Carrie died, they had to go open the seal on the script 
And the second they did that, they're like, well, we're in here. Let's mess with everything. Let's reevaluate everything and basically make a new movie from scratch, which it feels like a movie that was developed and filmed in 18 months. Mm -hmm. Um, It sure does. And I go, much like the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993, it's 1993. You do much better with the prompt of live action, no animation allowed, Super Mario Brothers movie. So same kind of idea. It's like, you've got 18 months to make a Star Wars that will fix Star Wars. Oh, yeah, this isn't going to work out. It's going to be bad in some way or another. And there are definitely choices I think they didn't have to make. Um, but when I reevaluate all, all, all these movies, it definitely just gets to me like, I think the problem is the fact that the, the Lucasfilm story group should be deciding what the movies are about. Mostly because that committee has been, that's their job. That is what their job is to steward the the meta narrative of Star Wars. And I think the problem you had with Gareth Edwards, he came in and he's like, I'm going to make, you know, like the Thin Red Line Star Wars edition. And eventually you realize that Star Wars is a, is a series of movies about space wizards for 12 year olds and perhaps an ultra gritty, ultra realistic, like dark, morally dubious Star Wars doesn't fit this property all that well if your still primary business is selling like you know kylo ren on size three kids shoes like maybe this doesn't work out and rogue one i think came out way more mature and way more ambiguous than any of the star wars before and a lot of people responded to that but that is still toned down from what it what i think gareth edwards wanted to make it when you have solo solo was going to be much more comedic much more slapsticky much more the Lego movie it was going to be a lot more sophomoric. Um, and they said, well, we think that's fun, but you playing with that action figure makes it harder to sell an action figure of that guy. So we don't really want you to do that. And they pulled it back and had Ron Howard finish it in a much more practical, straight up, normal American blockbuster way, which kind of made it less original for people who were wanting something different. And kind of, you know, it's it's kind of a milquetoast story. Even I, who loves Solo mm-hmm. and make Solo 2 happen, hashtag make Solo 2 happen. Mm-hmm. Um, even I admit that, like, it's not a full of bold choices. Hey, do you know what the Kessel Run looked like? Mostly like what you thought it would. <laughs> yeah, to me, I mean, we've talked about before how much we both like Solo. Yeah. Solo is a movie full of amazing characters and great ideas that just tries to do too much in a single story. Yeah, it's 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 a fun romp in a way that doesn't have the majesty of an episode and it doesn't have and it's not loose enough to be like something outside of the wheelhouse of Star yeah. Wars. So it, it it is a lesser Star Wars because that's what kind of it was designed for. Yeah. So take that all into account, right? And here we are on our fourth movie that has a con- that is designed, pre-produced with a particular director in mind. And now we're not going to use that director, <laughs> you know, um, not to mention the fact that we know the Game of Thrones guys were going to do something, but they're not going to do that anymore. Ryan Johnson may or may not have a trilogy. Mm-hmm. No one knows. There was the Josh Trank Boba Fett stuff originally. So you have this whole thing of like, I think what Lucasfilm specifically, more so than Disney, but like Lucasfilm is like, this is our cash cow. We can't screw it up. We can't make something as controversial as Last Jedi again because we just need this machine to run smoothly. And I think because of that, it's making them really, really in a bad place because what they want to do is do what some of the Marvel films have tried to do, which is like grab a hot director who's coming off of a a success story and grab their attention and energy and bring them in. But then you don't want to give them almost any creative control. And I don't blame you. Star Wars is a very specific visual vocabulary and look and feel. And it's probably not in the best interest of the franchise as a whole that specifically the movies go too far off the beaten path. But that being said, stop chasing hot directors then. Go hire hire Joe Smith, who has been silently doing the B uh the um second unit for great movies his entire life, but has never been up to these days. Is McGee still around? I mean like you look at something like a Justin Lin worked out really well. That guy, he started out doing like second unit work and he's just really good at putting a camera in a place. He doesn't have this insane, huge authorial style, or at least he didn't when he first did like Tokyo drift and stuff, but he could competently make a movie. And that's what you were asking them to do. 
if you're gonna if you want workaday directors to make your vision just happen in the movies, yeah. hire work workaday directors, not these auteurs. Well, and maybe the issue is not so much the directors they're hiring, and not like it feels like what it seems is they want these people to come in and do their thing, but then they're letting the committee pick it apart after the fact. Like Last Jedi worked in our opinion, my opinion, yeah. because it was one person writing a story start to finish and it made a complete story that actually worked, right? Yeah. And when you have all of these hands touching all of these scripts continuously, it's no surprise that they come out muddled uh, and, you know, being pulled in multiple directions. Right. Like, ultimately, if you're going to hire a Patty Jenkins, let Patty Jenkins make what she wants to make. Like, or- it's... Or again, alternatively, or don't hire Patty Jenkins and realize that you appreciate right. your committee more right. than you can. You want a right. a single mind working right. on your project. And now you brought up the example earlier of Marvel. Like this is something Marvel has learned and has gone through and has dealt yes. with. Like they have made movies that are different. They have made movies that feel vastly the same as other movies in their catalog. But when you let a director like a Taika make his vision, or when you let someone. Uh, like a Destin make their vision. I mean, you know, Thor Ragnarok, Shang-Chi, these are movies that have very specific vision and purpose. Yes. And if they're not for you, that's fine. But they're movies that the creators who make them believe in and believe in the story they were making and telling. And that's why some of those films stand out so much more than like, say, Oh, I don't know. You're Thor, the dark world, because that was edited to Helen back, um, well, you know, to Thor fit a spe specific mold. And the so, like, you have these directors who, when they're allowed to shine and do their thing, like a Ryan Johnson, like a Taika Waititi, they turn in something amazing. In my opinion, something like you're talking about with a Rogue One or, mm -hmm. um, you know, a Solo, let them make the movie you hired them on to make. Like, you talk about, uh, like you said, like, you know, like the, the, the uh, story group, right? Yeah. Lucasfilm story group has come out many times and say they have very little influence over mm -hmm. the universe as a whole. But I agree with you. Those are the people that should be sort of steering the ship. Well, if you're going to have a committee, you should have a committee. You know, the, the Lucasfilm story group is very diverse. I think you can see with the High Republic that they get how to make diverse conceptual, flexible ideas that mm -hmm. you can build out of Star Wars. Because we've got little golden books all the way to adult novels living in this same space and being planned Absolutely. with each other. Right. Yes. So it's just one of those things of like, I understand like say Patty Jenkins comes in and she's like, I want to make top gun, but in space and everyone's like thumbs up all around. And then she's like, um, and what I want to make it with is a, a, a non-binary, um, main character who's, uh, bisexual. And they go, ooh, Russia and China aren't going to let us import that movie. Did you see what happened to Eternals? We lost an entire market there. Yeah, but this is the vision I want to make. Yeah, we're not against it. And if it was only domestic, we would do that in a heartbeat. We're all for adding diversity to our characters. But we also have to sell this movie in a lot of markets. And, like, it's stuff like that that, like, okay, then why did you hire someone to make a unique vision if you don't want them to? And, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the things that, like, I think one of the more hopeful things about, like, Disney is in markets like the Middle East and, and, and Russia, they're just like, no, this character is going to be a gay man and we are going to release that movie and we are okay with abandoning markets that have a problem with that. They just don't get this one, you know? And I think that kind of backbone is something that I think Lucas hasn't, but that's because... Marvel is a very big, flexible machine with 80 years worth of stories to mine from horror and fantasy and all these different genres. Comic books have already had a diversity of styles of storytelling and tones that you can draw from. I agree that Star Wars is harder because Star Wars is, what, 11 movies? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, 11 movies, and that's it. The more you diverge from those 11 movies, the more you are going to polarize fans and again absolutely agree i agree that polarization is a requirement for a a franchise to grow but like a great example when i was reevaluating the sequel trilogy i like force awakens a lot less because i realized that when jj made his force awakens part two as the first and most of the second act of rise of skywalker he didn't know what ideas he wanted to pay off of of force awakens because he just opened a mystery box 
and it wasn't his job to figure out what the ending was, so he just left a mystery box. And when Ryan said, there's a lot of these mysteries that are dumb, I'm just going to cut them down and cut to the core of these characters. And so, like, I don't know, like, hey, the heritage of Ray. We could keep that going because we never said her last name, but, like, that's a dumb mystery. I'm just going to cut to the chase and say, we didn't say her last name because she doesn't have one. And then they're like, well, no, we did want to mess with her last name. Then why didn't you say that in episode seven? <laughs> well, because I wanted to leave it as a mystery. I solved your mystery. Well, I don't like how you solved my mystery. Then you shouldn't have let me solve your mystery. And I'll be honest, episode eight, I think one of the failings of episode eight from Ryan Johnson, I put it at his feet. Ryan Johnson, you made a great ending and open-ended. You know this is the second chapter, right? That someone has to follow this up. Who's going to follow this up? Well, like, even if you read the Colin Trevorrow script, it's kind of like a, and Kylo Ren's still around because we didn't resolve that, but, uh, the universe is maybe got more force. I don't know, Ryan, that's a really good ending. I don't know how to follow that up. And it kind of set up, it kind of set up the next person to have to essentially spend the first act of whatever episode nine was going to be resetting a world state so that it still has the conflict that was largely resolved at the end of um of eight because you could either make it a full-blown war and after create like yes the entire galaxy did finally come together they they didn't answer leia's call they feel real bad about it and they have to come together and we're in a pitched battle uh colin the colin trevor script more points that direction or you can have what we had which is the resistance is really on the run and they only got like 30% more resources than they had before and they cannot really fight the first order they're just doing guerrilla warfare cuz that's all they have left and either one of those is the only option you have when you end that movie in 8 the way you did and it just goes back to the whole sequel trilogy is three lopsided parts yeah. that don't feel connected together and if you're going to shred people and, and, and fight with them and make them make the Star Wars you've decided, Lucasfilm, then you better have at least a blueprint of what you want to accomplish. And I think the High Republic may have taught them institutionally what a multiple collaborator plan looks like because the High Republic has a release schedule where plot points are, are coming and projects are dependent on other projects being out in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And if someone like screws up their release date, that stops three other books from being published because they won't make sense. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that has helped them make a little bit better at like, ah, this is what happens when we grab the rudder and are pushing through a multifaceted project. Because apparently we didn't learn that enough. To your points, like, what's one of the things you hate the most about episode nine? You read a book that had a poignant scene in it that is not even known by anyone who touched episode nine. Yeah. And so hopefully they are getting better about that. But this Patty Jenkins thing is kind of bothers me because, A, I wanted to see what her vision was for it. Because, call me an idiot, but I know that her background is, she is a, a military brat and her dad was a fighter pilot. And I'm like, she's grown up around planes. I saw that in wonder woman 84 and how she, the glorious shots at the, uh, Hazzy center for, for flight. She loves planes. Mm -hmm. I want to see that person make that movie. And now we're not, and we're never going to get the right story of exactly what happened. But I'm like, for me, I'm like, leave us alone. I don't really want to see her do it. Just delay the movie again. Like, you're making 8 million Star Wars projects, and the yeah. movies are already hard to sell. So, yeah, by the time you're wrapping up Mandalorian, yes, we can have a new movie. Um, but then alternatively, the other part of me is like, hey, Patty Jenkins has a scheduling conflict. And it's like, okay, well, if she doesn't want to make Star Wars, that's okay. No, no, she she does, but you got a delay for her. This machine don't stop for no one. We don't break for anyone. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I honestly, I only have really one thought about everything that you said, and that's yeah. that I hope Star Wars lets its movies be smaller again. You know, I don't know if Disney has the capability to do that, but letting someone tell a small-scale movie or a small-scale trilogy um, would be something I would be really, really into. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a $200 million blockbuster. Give someone who wants to make a $40 million Star Wars a chance, you know? Like, I want that kind of thing in Star Wars now that we're in a world where we're getting more than a trilogy every 20 years. What I would 
what I would do if I was head of Lucasfilm. I would just say uh, the Mandalorian's enough and just call it a day. Um, but if I was if I was in Lucasfilm, the thing I would be developing for the movie pillar of my stuff, right? I would be going and green lighting episode ten. I would plot out 10 11 and 12 as a trilogy that has a beginning middle and an end well, yeah the use on vong war uh, don't even get me started <laughs> no but like i would be plotting those out and the reason i would want to do that is i would love to personally i would love to have it star finn ray and poe because i still don't think we got their movies i just don't think we got that mm-hmm. like w- no one could figure out what to do with all three at the same time so they didn't you know, even even the stuff I love from like Last Jedi, like you gave an arc to each one of those people that wasn't really there in seven and never gets paid off in nine. So like you have this beautiful like progression for all these characters that didn't really come from anywhere and didn't really end anywhere. So it's just kind of like, man, episode eight's a great standalone movie. It really doesn't connect to what came before or after, but it also requires them, which is weird. Um, Very true. So. I would love to see them. But more importantly, if you put episode 10 out there and you promise we learned our lessons, 10, 11, and 12 have a great plan. You're going to really like what we do. Great. That is the one where you make it boilerplate Star Wars. It starts with the opening crawl. John Williams' music plays throughout the whole thing. It is about space battles and and that Flash Gordon aesthetic. Because if you're doing that, then you can do the anthology films. Like, you, it's very well known. I hated Rogue One. But what's great about Rogue One is I didn't have to hate it for long. There was another boilerplate I know I'm going to like at Star Wars that was coming later. And so if you have the episodes that are sort of the, the torchbearer for traditional Star Wars, you can play a lot more with your anthology stories because they're not carrying the franchise forward they're just part of the franchise while i don't disagree with anything you just said one point that i think is worth making here before we wrap up on that is what is traditional star wars like a new hope and empire strikes back and return of the jedi are all three very different films from one another the prequels are all very different not only from each other but from the original trilogy like when we say traditional star wars when people say traditional star wars i think of a new hope because everything outside of A New Hope is something that has been added on to Star Wars. Mm. So to me, traditional Star Wars is the first seven movies of this franchise. And what I mean is they start with an opening crawl. They are built in the classic golden age of Hollywood um, high adventure action movie. They are about globe trotting, or in this case, galaxy trotting, going and seeing interesting plays with interesting creatures with kind of boilerplate characters who are just having misadventures with a general three-act structure Mm -hmm. clock wipes and Mm -hmm. um golden age of hollywood uh you know karn gold-esque big brassy like music and cutting edge special effects that invoke the conflicts of our real world you know there's a reason that new hopes based on world war ii is that's the action and i feel that even when you got to episode three in the battle of coruscant that still felt thematically the same iconography and conversations from a World War II movie that you had than the dogfights in, you know, Return of the Jedi. Um, I think the final battle of, like, Episode Seven is a different thing, but it's a nice reference to the trench run. When you get to Eight, Eight is a wholly different beast that makes many nods to, but in some weird ways, Eight is too dang well made from a visual aspect. Like, I do think from a cinematography and craft level, Eight is the best made Star Wars movie of all time, which kind of makes it stick out like a sore thumb because it's not like any of these seven that came before it in many, many ways. In plot sophistication, in the amount of plates it's spinning, the way it sets up the camera, the iconography, I mean, like... The way Ryan Johnson, he made a beautiful, delicious, probably the best film in that franchise. But that's like saying I made the best Garfield movie. People weren't going to Garfield for high art. And while I don't think Ryan Johnson's like that far off base, I do think eight is awkward now because of how good it is that it doesn't really fit into the set. And then nine 
Nine is basically just trying to clean up a mess that two movies made that no one can actually fix. But just, just, just real quick, companies coming over, just just uh, I don't know, open the open the couch and just throw things under the seats so just the company doesn't yeah. see the problems. Just put Babu Frick on top of the pile. No one will notice what's on. And it's sad because there's great things in episode nine, like yes, C3PO's arc. Like C-3PO's arc is generally great. And when Anthony Daniels gets to deliver his most pathos line in the entire thing of like, I'm taking one last look at my friends. I'm like, that's really good. He he gets a moment that he has earned over nine movies to actually be a central character and get the fact of I have been a witness to all this. I'm important. But then that's in like eight other things that are so fast you can't follow them and we gotta wrap this movie up i'm like we're 15 minutes in yeah we gotta get to the end (laughs) um so anyway it's just one of those things of like i would say the first seven is what i would consider traditional star wars and i think that it's great that rogue one doesn't have an opening title i think it's great that rogue one has the little like you know sign cards for what planet you're on and like a spy movie or you know a more globe trotting movie Mm -hmm. I think it's great that Solo does the opening crawl, but it's in a completely different context. It's way more of like a Blade Runner opening crawl than it is a Star Wars one. Um, And I think that Solo doesn't look always like a Star Wars movie. It looks more like a Marvel film. It was filmed a little more modern, a little more kinetic. Um, There's not as many clock wipes. Um, So I think to me, the biggest thing is if I'm at Disney... I have to have a whiteboard and I have to be figuring out what the new episodes are going to be that continue the Skywalker saga, which won't be called that anymore because it wasn't called that until we got to episode nine um, and and go, what is the tent pole of this franchise and what are the ancillary things? Because like, for instance, I love Mandalorian. It can't carry the torch of all Star Wars because if Star Wars to you is space wizards, there's not many space wizards in yeah, there. I agree with you that we will get a big resurgence for episodes 10, 11, and 12 at some point Yeah, uh, in the relatively near future. But I think before we do that, we are going to spend some time in some different eras of Star Wars, you know, so sure. whether that's Old Republic or whatever, I, I think we will see movies or a series of movies or whatever that take place throughout different points of the Star Wars timeline before we make our way back to episode 10. But and, I could be wrong. And my summation on all this is whether it's a new trilogy, because they may... Maybe they make the Knights of the Republic trilogy or something, right? Mm-hmm. But if you make the tentpole Star Wars films, which I still think a movie called Episode 10-something is going to be out before this decade is. Um, I possible. think I think the biggest thing to me is if you make a tentpole and you make it pure Star Wars, we're, we're, we're just making the Star Wars you want again, um, it leaves the rest of the franchise so much more room to experiment because I feel that like... Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka, I'm hoping are going to be great shows. Oh, quick casting note is they hired Sabine. So Sabine's going to be in the Ahsoka show, and I'm super stoked about it. Um, Absolutely. uh, I think it allows them to do more because I feel both those shows and Rangers of the Republic, why do those exist? Guys, Mandalorian's hot. Build off of it. And I'm like, Mandalorian is amazing, and it is Star Wars for Mac. However, it's not covering all the bases of what people like about Star Wars. In fact, there's huge swaths of it it doesn't cover. So anyway, I would like to see that all happen. I hope it happens sooner. Um, But I'm excited to be here along for the ride to see what Star Wars becomes. There's so much more to come. And as we say all the time, we are in an era of Star Wars that should be looked at with great revelry. We are getting more content than ever before. And no matter how much I may hold a grudge against the rise of Skywalker and I hold against rogue one, I am still happy that we are getting more star Wars than we were uh, post 2005. You know, it was great to have the clone wars, but where we are now getting books, every single quarter, we're getting video games all the time. We're getting TV shows. And I really think that a lot of, the animosity some people feel towards the sequel trilogy as the TV shows really get rolling next year. And we really enter a period like where we're at now with Marvel, where Star Wars will just never stop again. Agree. You know, once we hit all of this TV show stuff. So it'll be interesting to see. um, And I'm excited. I mean, hey, Obi-Wan news coming soon, I'm sure. Yeah. It's really seeming like that could be spring or early summer. I'm hoping May 4th. That's what I'm looking for. That would be great. But we'll find out soon because until we find out more, I'm Mac. 
And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. May the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.